0: Anybody ever get lost taking a trip? (laughs) Everybody's like, yep. You ever just take the wrong way? You just, you're headed to North Carolina and you get on the interstate out here and you end up in Charleston, West Virginia and you're going, wait a second. I was supposed to go south and I went north. Anybody? Ever catch that mistake while you're on the interstate and try to turn around in places that you shouldn't turn around? Huh? No, yeah, okay. And like cars honking and people cussing and gravel flying. <clears throat> yeah. I've never done that ever. Not once in my life. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, sometimes you just take the wrong way, don't you? Hmm. Sometimes you just get on the wrong road. All right, men. Oh, look at that. Um, How many of you men especially have ever been on the wrong road and somebody's in the car saying, I think we're going the wrong way? No, we're not. I looked at the map. We're on the right road. Preach, don't meddle. <laughs> and you just keep driving. And you just keep getting farther and farther and farther away from where you're supposed to be going. You're going to go somewhere, just not where you plan to go. I know where I'm going. <laughs> sure you do. Today, uh, and some of y'all are going to go, yes, we're going to finish Romans 9 today. Um, And we're going to see a classic wrong way story. We're going to see what it means to be on the wrong road, to insist you're on the right road, and to reach the wrong destination and it's tragic but there is hope in it there is joy in it there is peace in it because the right way is still there so if you would turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9 we're going to focus on verses 30 to 33 today and this is a short passage but man oh man oh man (laughs) it's like holding just pure gold so much good stuff in it if you would stand with us as we read this passage starting in verse 30 what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it that is a righteousness that is by faith but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law why because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this Advent season. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your spirit who dwells with us. And I pray that this morning... Your Spirit would move in us to teach us if we are believers. And God, if there are those who sit here this morning that do not know Jesus Christ as the one who can save them, as the one who has saved them, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would convict them of their sin, get them off the wrong road, and put them on the path to righteousness for your name's sake. Have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So we'll start looking at the map again in verse 30. But I do want to quickly again, a couple weeks ago I did this, I want to quickly again go back to where we've been in Romans 9. And what a journey it's been. I don't know if it's impacted you like it's impacted me. But man, I've seen a big, big God in Romans 9. I've seen a sovereign God. I've seen... A God who has a very definite plan, a very definite purpose and in a very powerful way is working that plan to completion. And it started back at the beginning of Romans 9 where Paul said his concern is for who? His Jewish brethren, those who are Jews by the flesh, born Jewish people. And he says he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart And then he says, again, coming out of Romans 8 where we saw that we can't be cut off from Christ, we can't be separated from Christ, Paul says in verse 3 of Romans 9, "...for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh." Now again, I want to reiterate that everything that's been said in Romans 9 is coming from the heart of a man who just said, if I could be cut off and go to hell so that others could go to heaven, I wish that would happen. That's compassion. That's love. And I've never felt that way about anybody. I'm just being honest with you. We want to smuggle our own souls into heaven by the skin of our teeth. And I don't know that I'm overly concerned about other people, much less my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. But then he said, just because there are Israelites, many of them, who don't believe. It's not as though the Word of God has failed. And that's been kind of the overarching statement that's laid the path, if you will, if you want to stay with our map analogy. That's laid the groundwork and the path for what we've covered. Just because not all of ethnic Israel is saved doesn't mean that the Word of God has failed. doesn't mean that those 39 books in the Old Testament are just shred them up and trash them because God failed because obviously His covenant people aren't saved. He says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Then he said he chose Isaac. Then he said that he chose Jacob and not Esau. And then Paul asked the question in verse 14: So, what shall we say? Is there injustice in God since he chooses people of his own doing? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16 is just a huge stone in the road for some of us. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And then he brings up Pharaoh and how God says, I raised up Pharaoh for this very purpose. And you'll say to me, then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? And then verse 20, Paul says, shut up, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, what ha- why have you made me like this? And we said, the clay has nothing to say to the molder. We have no right to come to God and say, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? And though you would never do that, I don't think, maybe you would, though you would never do that purposefully, march into God's presence and accuse Him, we do it in our hearts when we accuse Him and His plan of adoption, of election, of predestination, of Him having the only true free will in the universe. Who are you, old man, to answer back to God and accuse Him of being guilty of having a free will? And then we looked at the Old Testament passages from Hosea and Isaiah a couple of weeks ago to show that God's plan had always said that He would denounce the Israelites and say, you're not my people anymore. And that He would call people who were not His people to be His people. And that He preserved a remnant through the nation of Israel. We talked about Elijah and how God said that He had preserved those who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And Isaiah predicted in verse 29, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Unless God did something to save some people, we would all be destroyed, wiped off the face of the earth. That's heavy stuff, guys. That's heavy lifting. And it's good stuff because it draws our focus onto God. And He is big. He is strong. And He is Good. May we never accuse God of unrighteousness or not being good. So that brings us to today. So the Israelites were called not His people. And unless He had preserved a remnant, they would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. And it's like, I think a a true, full-blooded Jewish reader at this time would have choked on these words. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. What shall we say then? Of course, a phrase like that refers back to what was said before, and that's what we just covered. Again, two weeks ago, we saw Paul referring to Amos and Isaiah about God rejecting Israel, making them not His people, and then calling calling them His people again, but not just them. That it was Jews and Gentiles that He was calling, which was a monumental statement. And with the rest of the chapter, God and His sovereign choosing here... God was determining who would be His children both from Jew and Gentile. And that last part there about God's children being called from both Jews and Gentiles would have been world-changing stuff to the hearers of this truth. So then, what shall we say? Jews will be saved. Not all Jews, but Jews will be saved. And, capital A, capital N, capital D, and Gentiles will be saved. So what shall we say? How? Why? What's going on with this salvation? Who's doing it? What in the world, what in God's world is going on? Well, Let's see what we shall say then. What we shall say then is that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. Now look at that. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. Now, if I'm not on the road to North Carolina, if I'm driving north, I can drive north as long as I drive north until I hit Saskatchewan and the frozen tundra and end up, I can maybe end up in Alaska. But I'm not going to end up in North Carolina driving north from here. Now Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they were not on the road to righteousness, wound up in North Carolina. (laughs) Driving north as hard as they could drive. What? But they weren't pursuing it. Right. (laughs) Surely it was the Jews who were pursuing righteousness, right? The Jews were pursuing being right with God, right? It wasn't the Gentiles. But yet here, Paul is clearly pointing to the fact that these Gentiles, these non-God-seeking, ain't no way they can be righteous Gentiles, have attained righteousness. They didn't pursue it, which means they weren't even looking for it. They weren't trying to get it but they got it. They was on 77 North and ended up in Charlotte from West Virginia. But how? How did they attain it? Or better question, what did they attain to? Paul says they attained to a righteousness that is by faith. And that addresses what it is and how they got it. The Gentiles... Who were not pursuing righteousness, who were not even caring about or trying to be right with a God they neither knew of or cared about, attained to it, they received it, and they got it. But how? By faith. How can you have faith in something that you don't even, aren't even after? The Gentiles attained to a righteousness by faith which if we look back over what we've seen in Romans for nine chapters now is the only righteousness there truly is. A Couple quick examples. If we pull from earlier in Romans, Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Okay, so we've seen this before, right? The righteous shall live by faith. And then Romans 3, 20 through 25. We'll come back to Romans 3 in a little bit. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. So by works of the law... You're on I-77 North trying to get to North Carolina. Working. Keep that in mind. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Oh, wow, that's a big statement. Because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Two things I want to point out in that Romans passage. Verse 24, we are justified. How? We're quick to say by faith and that's true. But we're justified by grace through faith. That's pretty big. That's pretty important. And this was to show God's righteousness, not our righteousness. We won't linger too long there. If you've been around a while, you'll remember the second point of our outline of Romans is justification by faith, the means for being right with God. There's no other way to be right with God. So we've been talking about that for well over a year now. So this is not new information that we're talking about this morning necessarily. Necessarily. The only way to be right with God is to be justified by faith. But remember, it's by grace through faith out of Ephesians 2. And what Paul is saying back in our passage here for today in Romans (coughs) 9.30 is that Gentiles weren't trying to be right with God. They weren't keeping laws and rituals. They weren't trying to make God happy, but God made a way for them to be right with Him and that way was faith faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ who did keep the law, who did fulfill it, and who died a substitutionary death on these non-believing Gentiles behalf, paying the penalty for their sins and then offering them His perfect righteousness. That's the gospel, y'all. And that's something we've said before but I think we need to both reiterate and re-emphasize as a point of primary importance. Please listen to me. If you don't hear anything else today, which I hope you do, if you don't hear anything else today, listen to me. That which is of both primary importance and primary importance. Did you get that? The only righteousness that saves human beings is what John Piper refers to as an alien righteousness. A righteousness outside of one's self. A righteousness that is not our own but that of another. And in this case, that another has a capital A at the beginning. That makes faith the means for being right with God. If I am to receive the righteousness of Jesus as a gift, I have to place my faith in who He is and what He did. And the act of faith is to place your complete trust in, to put your full weight upon. I can say I have faith in that chair. I believe it will hold me. But until I go and let gravity pull me down to it, I'm not showing faith. I'm saying I've got faith but when I go and actually sit down and repose myself and let the chair do the bearing of the weight, I'm not exercising faith. So, if I say that I have faith that Jesus' righteousness is my only hope of being righteous, that's saying that I cease from doing what I can do and I trust in what He has done. That is monstrous. That is conversion. That is placing your faith in His work, in His righteousness, and not your own. If I am to receive the gift of righteousness, the gift of the righteousness of Jesus, I have to place my faith in who He is and what He did. If He is not good enough, you have no chance whatsoever. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, lean on Jesus' name. Yeah, that. And that faith is the means for Jews and Gentiles to be made right with God. So here in Romans 9.30, Paul says the Gentiles attained to that righteousness by faith, even when they weren't looking for it. A little baby was born in a manger. Most of the world had no idea. They weren't looking for it. In 30 some years he'd go to a cross and take their sins on his body. Because he could, because that was God's plan. Romans 9:31. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. What a tragic verse. This is the rest of the question that was started in verse 30. Let me read that together: 30 and 31. <clears throat> What shall we say, then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? What shall we say? That Gentiles who weren't trying attained righteousness by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Shall we say that? Yes, we shall, because He did. So the Gentiles weren't pursuing righteousness, but they got it. Israel, ethnic, political Israel, was pursuing something, though. What were they pursuing? What's it say? But that Israel who pursued... They were pursuing a law that would lead to righteousness. Now, I don't want to split too many hairs because I don't have very many. Actually, but that, that phrase strikes me as odd. Gentiles weren't pursuing righteousness but attained it. Israel was pursuing a law. Yes, a law that would lead to righteousness, but I think it's important to note what Paul says Israel was pursuing. They were pursuing a law. So were they pursuing righteousness? They were, but indirectly. Their pursuit was after the law of God and maybe, just maybe, not after the God of the law. That again makes the order of this all so important. If we are to pursue the righteousness of God, listen to me church, we must pursue the God of perfect righteousness. If we pursue Him, we get Him and righteousness. If we pursue His righteousness, through a law maybe, we get neither Him nor His righteousness. If we pursue His blessings, we don't get Him or His blessings. You're like, well, I want to be blessed by God Then pursue God. The blessings of God, the righteousness of God come after the person of God. So important. This thing we call Christianity, listen to me, is about the very person of God. And we can see and worship the person of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Which makes this time of Advent and Christmas and the incarnation so important. We do not pursue a vague, unknowable God through laws and lists and rituals. We pursue a relationship with a God who became like us and shared our suffering and can be known and related to and loved and treasured. And that's what God wants. And that's what Israel missed as they pursued a law that they thought would lead to their righteousness. Little words, little shades of meaning, little phrases that if they're turned on their side don't mean the same thing. And when we read the Bible, we blow by them. Israel pursued a law. I have pursued a law. And if they could have possibly kept the law perfectly, they would have been righteous. But they couldn't. That was the point of the law, if you'll remember. To multiply transgressions, it said earlier in Romans. To point out sin and thus a need for that alien righteousness that we mentioned earlier. So they pursued a law they hoped would lead to righteousness but they did not succeed even in reaching that law. So their pursuit of the law failed. They just couldn't do it. They could not attain it. And why, you might ask? Funny you should ask that because. Verse 32. Why? (laughs) Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now we're going to get more of that stone thing in a minute. But... Why didn't they attain either righteousness or the law they thought would lead to that righteousness? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Paul makes it clear that the reason the Israelites missed God and His righteousness is that they were pursuing the law and the righteousness they thought it would bring, not by faith, but as if it were based on their works. After spending so much time in the previous chapters iterating and reiterating that our justification, our righteousness is based on faith, he shows that Israel was trying to work to earn their righteousness and that is the reason they could not attain to righteousness. They were driving north trying to get south. Remember... Remember, remember, remember the only righteousness that can help sinful man is an alien righteousness, one that is outside of oneself. Being righteous is not based on works. Period. Never was, never will be. And Israel missed that. And I'll say that's a hard pill to swallow. Why? Because it does away with any and all boasting that one might do on behalf of him or herself. I can promise you, as sure as I'm wearing these ugly crocs, I can assure you, I can promise you that no one will stand before God during the final judgment and tell him all of the righteous things they did to earn their righteousness and God say, "Wow, that's fantastic. You did great." That is not going to happen for anybody ever. We looked back at Romans 3 earlier, and I want to go back there again. I want to look at Romans 3:27 and 28 then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law." It's a hard pill to swallow because we got no part in it. I can't do nothing which is a double negative, which means I can do something. So let me rephrase that. I cannot do anything. I cannot fulfill any law. I cannot do any deed that God will look at me and say, okay, that made you righteous. Or any list of them. It will never happen. So therefore, when I show up into heaven and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? If I start my sentence with, well, because I... I'm disqualified. And that's hard to swallow for arrogant human beings who would rather accuse God than receive what He has to give. Boasting is excluded because of the law of faith. And that plays into the next part of the verse which says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now what does that mean? Well, it's tied into the next verse, which is a quote from the Old Testament. And I'm going to read uh, the end of 32 and then go into 33. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, it says at the end of verse 32, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, we're in a conversation about boasting since faith does away with our self-efforts and our self-righteousness. And then this statement, an Old Testament quotation, kind of quotation, we'll get to that in a second, comes up. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Israel has stumbled. Okay, And what have they stumbled over? Now what's it mean to stumble? It means they fell down. They got a flat tire driving north, trying to get south. They're stranded on the side of the road. They have fallen... Come on. And they can't get up. <laughs> you know, that's their slogan, right? That, that company, that's actually their slogan now. What is it? Medic alert, first alert, I have fallen and I can't get up. Saw it on a, like a, a, a logo the other day. First alert, I have fallen and I can't get up. Israel has fallen and they can't get up. They're trying to boast. They're trying to pursue a law. And they failed. They fell down. So in this conversation about faith, doing away with self-efforts and boasting, here we are in the Old Testament again. Israel has stumbled over the stumbling stone. What have they stumbled over? Who is this stumbling stone? What is this stumbling stone? We wouldn't know what it meant if he didn't go further. He pulls this thought, this next thought in verse 33, from two different passages. Isaiah 28:16 and Psalm 118, 22. Let me look at the Isaiah passage first. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. So who's speaking? Yahweh Himself. I am who I am. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Says, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. I love that phraseology. So that's part of what He mentions. God is saying here that He is the one who has laid the foundation stone in Zion. Now what is Zion? I know some of you are probably sitting there Was Zion. Wasn't that in the Matrix? Yes, but that's not what we're talking about. Zion, Mount Zion is a mountain in Israel just outside the old city of Jerusalem. And it was used as a phrase to mean the whole of Israel. Israel could be called Zion. Okay, So that's what he's referring to. They worshiped there and they thought of it as this is where God would come back and there's prophecies that said He'll stand upon Zion. So Zion was a place of worship. Zion was to be the people of worship. That's what he's referring to. the place of God's dwelling. And here in Isaiah, God says, He has laid the foundation stone in Zion, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation and whoever believes will not be in haste. Now put a pin in that a second and let's look at Psalm 118. I'm going to read verses 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And I don't have 23 up here, but it says this, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Mm -hmm. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now what does this mean? In thinking of the stone that Isaiah was referring to, that God Himself laid as the foundation of Zion, here in the Psalm it seems to imply by Paul's mixing the verses together that Israel did not take too kindly to God's choice of foundation that He built His house of praise upon. Remember, they were pursuing a law they thought would lead them to righteousness, but God had appointed that faith would be the way. Now, fast forward to after Jesus' death and listen to how Peter, which means what? Rock? Interesting. Listen to how Peter puts this same thought together in his first letter, 1 Peter 2, verses 6-8. through For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to. Man, oh man. First and foremost, I want to say wow at the Word of God. We're looking at Romans. Paul mentions Isaiah. Paul merges a passage in Isaiah with a passage in Psalm, in one of the Psalms. It makes perfect sense because it's right. It's Holy Spirit inspired. And then Peter brings it up later and writes it down. Rodney was right. Jesus is everywhere here. And this book, this 66 book, made-up volume of books, book, it's just a coherent message saying Jesus, 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 faith in Jesus, alien righteousness, Jesus, stone of offense, Jesus. Jesus. is a precious cornerstone. Now that brings our Romans passage, the Isaiah passage and the Psalms passage all together in one neat little basket here in 1 Peter. Remember we're talking in Romans about faith and how righteousness according to faith does away with boasting and then this passage comes up. Now to show how it ties in, let's walk through this passage in Peter. Israel didn't attain to righteousness because they were pursuing the law they thought would lead to righteousness. But God had laid a foundation stone in his place of worship and that stone was Christ. You say now wait a second, how do you know that stone was Christ? Okay. I could really lay this out. We won't take the time to do it. Jesus refers to this passage four times. 3 times. Matthew 21:42, Mark 12:10 and Luke 20:17. We're not going to go there. And then in Acts 4.11 Peter is preaching. Check this out. And he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. I, I can't make that up. Okay, So who's the cornerstone? Jesus is the cornerstone. So there you go. So it would stand to reason That this is what Peter is referring to when he writes in 1 Peter as well, right? And what does he say about this cornerstone? It says that he has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Which means that the cornerstone would make men stumble and the cornerstone would be offensive. Which means that if you're going to come to God, you are going to have to stumble. You're going to have to fall on your face you're going to have to cease from your deadly doings and say, God, how would you save me? Because I cannot save myself. that's offensive. It's offensive to us. You try to preach the gospel to people, one of the first things that they say is, I'm not a bad person. You're going to have to stumble. But doesn't God just love us all? Uh, yeah, but God also hates sin. And guess what? You were born a sinner. You're going to have to stumble over that. You're going to have to be offended. Your pride is going to have to be ripped away. Your own efforts, your own trying will not, will never be sufficient. You have to stumble over the stumbling stone. You have to have your pride broken by Him. If not, then the end of the first Peter passage ties nicely back into the rest of Romans 9 when it says they stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. It is your destiny if you remain in your own pride, in your own effort seems like there was some predestining to all this by that statement, doesn't it? But whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame, which means that if we trust in Jesus, if we pursue God through the righteousness of Christ, the alien righteousness outside of ourselves, we will not be put to shame, we will not be cast aside, we will not fail to obtain what Israel hoped to attain by pursuing the law that they hoped would lead them to righteousness. And again, how marvelous the Word of God is. We could go on and on here and do some more ciphering, but we don't have time and we won't do it. We've seen enough. We have what we need to tie all of this together and to look into some application from it all. First, let's look at our passage today in light of what we've seen in the rest of Romans 9. If I were to ask you what chapter 9 has been about up to this point, what would you say? Would you say it's been about... uh, Man's efforts? Mm, I don't think so. Would you say that Romans 9 has been about righteousness based on faith? Not really. Not Romans 9. Would you say that Romans 9 has been about the responsibility of man? Not really. I would say the single easiest thing to draw from Romans 9 is the sovereignty of God and salvation. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will harden whom I will harden. I will raise Pharaoh up to show my glory through him. All that stuff. All that stuff that makes you wiggle in your seat and go, What does that mean? I'm God and not. It means that I'm God and you're not. That's what Romans 9 has been about up to this point. I mean, let's just be honest. Romans 9 is like a tiger, that's what Piper said. He grew up fundamental Baptist and got in his teacher's face and said, that's not what that means. And this is what, you ever heard this story? Anybody ever heard this story? He had a professor in Bible college that was teaching Romans 9 and saying God is sovereign in salvation. And Piper said that he went up and he grabbed a pen. I'll just use a cup, which never separates properly. But he had a pen and he said, I held that pen up in his face and I dropped it. And I looked him in the eye and said, I did that. I chose to do that. And he said, in my arrogance, I was saying, I chose to be saved. God didn't choose to save me. And that's arrogant. And that's what Romans 9 has been teaching us. That ultimately all of our self-effort... Leads us to stumble over the stumbling stone, which is Christ. So Romans 9 has been about the sovereignty of God in salvation. God's election, God's predestiny. So let me ask you a question then. Would you say that today's passage is the same? Nine thirty through thirty-three. I would say no and yes, because I do that a lot. I would say yes, and that God is the one who is orchestrating all of this. This is the Lord's doing. It. It's marvelous in our sight. He is the one who set up the system so that the righteousness is not to be obtained by works of the law, but rather by faith in the finished work of a capital A another. But where does this passage seem to place responsibility for salvation? Reading it. It seems to me to be placing that responsibility on people. The Jews did not attain to it. Why? Because they. Hmm. But, but. Doesn't it? Am I right? The rewards and punishments seem to be based on what the people did. Israel pursued the law and they did not attain to righteousness. And if you do not attain to righteousness, you spend eternity in hell. So their pursuit leads them to hell. What they did leads them to hell. Now the first Peter passage refers to their being destined to that. But we'll stick to the Romans passage just now. Whether consciously or purposefully or not, I really it seems to me like Paul makes a shift here in this chapter. At the end of this chapter, here in this pivotal part of the book to show, listen to me, church, that just as surely as God is sovereign, man is responsible. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. But know that what follows, particularly in chapter 10, will deal in pretty good depth with that thought. So all you folks who've struggled with all the sovereignty talk... I hear you. I feel you. You're about to see some of what you believe explained pretty good too. And what you'll see is that Paul does not put these doctrines in contrast with each other, making us pick one or the other. It is and will be a both and proposition. Yes, God is sovereign. And yes, man is responsible. And it's going to be a fun say what type of ride. Stay buckled in. But let's apply today's passage. That was all just primer for two weeks from now, starting two weeks from now. How do we apply what we've read today to our lives? <clears throat> I just go ahead and bring it up. Again, I'm working on the application points so that they stick with you. Okay. So our application points today are three. Something can't something, something can't something, something can't something. W can't W, P can't P. I shouldn't say that. F can't F. I shouldn't say that either. Um, works can't work, pride can't prevail, and faith can't fail. Now, you, you can remember that, right? Huh? Okay, let me tell you what it means, okay? In looking at our passage today, if you are looking to attain to righteousness, works can't work. Ever. You ever been up on a ladder or something and you need a tool and you don't have it? You're on the top of a ladder tiptoeing and you need a hammer. <laughs> you got a screwdriver. Is it going to work? Sometimes it can work, but it's not going to work. Okay, you've got a nail to drive and you're at the top of the ladder and you've got a tape measure. Well, I can give it a shot. You're going to break your tape measure and you're going to fall off your ladder is what you're going to do. And your nail still ain't going to be in the wall. Listen to me. If you are trying to attain to righteousness, to be right with God, to have the righteousness of God, works won't work. You are on top of the ladder with no tools whatsoever. You have no hope. If your effort, your self-effort, I'll do better. I'll try harder. I'll get it right this time. If that's your path, you're headed north to Georgia. And you're never going to get there. Did you hear what I said? You're never going to get there. If you are trying to attain to righteousness, works can't work. It is impossible. Like the little boys who were patting each other on the back saying, Mommy's going to be so glad we filled up the car as they rolled the water hose up. Mm -mm -mm. Works can't work. If you are trusting in your works to attain to righteousness, you will find yourself in eternal hell. Plain and simple. Pride can't prevail now that ties into works can't work but listen here's what I want to say to you with this you're going to have to stumble you're going to have to denounce your pride you're going to have to look and say works can't work and if I maintain my pride here and keep trying to do what I want to do what I think I should do what I think I can do that's arrogance folks That's pride. That's saying, God, I know what you said, but I'm still going to try it my way. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. You're going to have to be broken. You're going to have to lay down your deadly doings and you're going to have to come before God and say, I am a sinner. That's humbling. But if you're going to attain to righteousness, pride can't prevail. You can't hold on to your pride and be saved. You just can't do it. Your works aren't enough, and your pride only separates you from a God who wants to give you the gift of righteousness. So what do I do? You don't do nothing. You look to Christ Christ. And you place your faith in who He is and what He did. And listen, faith can't fail. The righteous shall live by faith. Now listen, that's not just an invitation to righteousness. For the power to walk righteously, Christian, it's faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by the grace that God provides through the faith that we place in Him. I don't know how many times you've sinned this morning, but I could make a list of myself of what I've done this morning in my own effort, trying to get my stuff done, trying to get my plan worked out in my own effort. But when I walk by faith, Scripture talks about walking by faith, and that sounds like a real hazy, weird, spiritual, like I'm just going to walk through life like this. It's about faith, man. This sounds faith. It's not. It's like, God, I can't do this. My works don't work. I have lost my pride. I believe that you can do through me what I can't do by myself. I believe. That you want to do greater things than you've ever done before in my life, God. But it's not going to be by doing my devotions and checking my list. Do your devotions. That's good. But that's not your work. The work that God wants to do in and through you is a work based on faith in who Jesus is. What He has done and what He is doing. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Place your faith in that. And dad, gum, sore. You ain't stumbling anymore. You are soaring over everything because he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And Paul would boldly say in Philippians, listen, listen, Christian, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He would say in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So Christian, faith can't fail you. And listen, non-believer, unbeliever, you're sitting here going, I don't know about all this, I don't know, what have I got to do? Stop. Put down your deadly doings. Works won't work. They can't work. Let go of your pride and say, Jesus, I believe all this Christmas stuff. I believe all this Advent stuff. I believe about this stuff. Mary, did you know a God of peace who offers Himself as an inexpressible gift this Christmas season and says, if you'll just stop working and start trusting in the finished work of Jesus... You want to talk about a gift. You want to talk about a life transformed. You want to talk about an unending, imperishable hope. It comes when you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's not just Christianese. That's just not church speak. Stop working. Start trusting Jesus. And you will be saved. Let's pray. God, we we do all stumble in many ways, and you have placed in Zion a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling, so that we will fall on our faces. We might just by chance, by your doing, God, fall into your presence. I didn't do it God I couldn't have done it You did it You are doing it Even now Holy Spirit By the power Of the written and spoken word Of God By your power Holy Spirit To convict and to draw people Into the very presence of God Do it Holy Spirit do it and for those of us who do know the truth that has set us free, who have received this unspeakable gift, convict us of our sins. Come to us. Abide with us. O Lord Emmanuel, we trust you knowing that you can do what we cannot. Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness and your perfect plan. Thank you for Jesus and the incarnation and the crucifixion and the death and the burial and the resurrection, his ascension, and his work now to intercede for us. We thank you for it all and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? receive this benediction I continue to place your hope our hope in him and his ability now may the God of peace himself (laughs) Adam didn't bring peace the angels didn't bring peace but may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ He who calls you is faithful, church. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks.